Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, this is Jonathan Goldhill and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today, my guest is Bill Coletti. So when relationships are critical to your business, your reputation is one of the most important assets you manage. In today's podcast with Bill Coletti, a highly experienced and sought after reputation management strategist and speaker, I want you to get ready for a deep dive session into the world of corporate crisis management. Bill is a reputation management, crisis communications, and professional development expert. He's a keynote speaker, Wall Street Journal risk and compliance panelist, and best-selling author of Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. Bill, welcome to my show today. Jonathan, it is awesome to be here. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into this business, first of all, and, and maybe what, what your why is. That seems to be the pop, hot question. Yeah, yes, I What's your why? What, why'd you get into this business? Yeah, so I started running political campaigns. And my why as a kid is I wanted to change the world. So did politics early on in high school and that got my first job right at in college and then another job out of college and in politics. And so was very sort of partisan and, and really into that and did that for until around 2000. So from the mid 80s to 2000 and then transitioned over to corporate. My why then transitioned as a, uh, a husband and a new father uh, to making a little bit more money than and being kind of an itinerant salesman of politics. Uh, and so started doing that in a corporate context. And then the why became, and seven years ago when I started my own firm, is that I wanted to do it better. I wanted to do it in a more intimate way. And I wanted to be laser focused on one discipline. And that was crisis communication. So my why now is to is to serve um, people that we like with sophisticated insights that gets them out of trouble or helps them get in, helps them from getting in trouble to begin with. Well, I hope you're going to share some stories with us today about people or situations, companies that have gotten into trouble and how they got out of it. But first, I want to start with the importance of reputation management. And I want to start off with a quote from my business school professor who 30 years ago said, uh, credibility is like virginity. You lose it just once. Mm-hmm. And so that really always resonated with me, which is that uh, doing the right thing really matters so much in business. Absolutely. And 
that, you know, we don't always do the right thing. But like mm-hmm. for me, uh, uh, I know that I try to always do the right thing and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty intentional about it. But I imagine some of your clients maybe didn't realize that the the rules had changed as, as we've heard you know some people recently said oh, I like uh you know the governor of New York said oh, I didn't recognize that the the lines had changed yeah and uh you know he had blurred the line and, and that was yeah. a situation where crisis management uh probably was needed so you know tell us uh, first of all like how do we go about managing our reputation and uh and Talk to us about the importance of that as an asset in your business. Sure. So, um, so, so, you know, good on your 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 business school professor. He was right on. And Warren Buffett basically said kind of the same thing in a little bit more more PC kind of way. Is it takes years to build your reputation and a moment to lose it, uh, which wow. is effectively the same thing. Um, and so, you know, with that in mind, is that having a reputation and particularly in a B2B, but certainly in a B2C context as well. You know, I think having a good reputation, you know, you get three things. Uh, There are three really intangible benefits you get from a strong reputation. And so with the clients we work with, these are the the parables that I try to explain and so that they can understand it. So imagine you're in a business negotiation and you're competing with your strongest competitor and price delivery, terms and conditions are the same, reputation is going to break the tie. If if you've got Jonathan Incorporated and Bill Incorporated, and Jonathan Incorporated has done a number of things in society, a number of things in the marketplace, not related to the product, not related to anything, but just the way you treat your employees. If you and I are in a tie in a business deal, mm-hmm. you're going to win, is my theory, because you have a higher, stronger reputation. So first thing you get is that it breaks ties. The second thing you get is that mistakes happen, and you mentioned it before. I don't think that companies, um, I think there are, there are inherently bad companies that do bad things. Those are not the people I want to work for. Right. But I think there are a lot of times that there are people that they just make mistakes or a mistake is made um, on them by their team or their employees. A strong reputation, you get the benefit of the doubt. And people say, hey, that's not the business I know. And I know so many family businesses that are really close to their customers, they get that in, in, intangible benefit of, hey, something broke, but that's not who I know. I know you some different way. So you get this sort of the benefit of the doubt. So it breaks ties. You get the benefit of the doubt. And the third thing that a strong reputation does is that it lets you hire better talent. Uh, you get to you get the pick and the choose between because I think this new generation of employees really want to work not only for marketplace winners, but they also want to work for for companies that are doing good things. And so you get to really choose really strong employees. So those three things, that's why investing in a reputation. And then what I do, being really good at crisis, that's the way we sort of articulate our value add to the folks and companies that we serve. So like, I want to think of this as an asset and think first, like, how do we make it more tangible. So as an intangible asset, your reputation might be how many times people talk about you in a positive or negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were to put a KPI and have your team measure your reputation, you'd probably be going off of Google reviews or Yelp reviews or something. Net promoter scores, things like that. Net promoter scores. 
Um, but, you know, not too many companies publicize. Actually, I, I know very few companies that mm -hmm. publicize their net promoter score. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Google and Yelp reviews you can go find online. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in a lot of industries, it's just about what your reputation is. So people, the, what's the word on the street? It's not mm -hmm. really measurable, is that? Um, so I, I think it is. I think it is measurable. I think it is measurable for your own benefit. So I think you you have two key audiences and it's, you know, inside and outside. You need to interview and ask your employees, what do you want us to do? What do you, and are we and are we doing it? So mm -hmm. and it's the same question to your stakeholders, whether it be mm -hmm. your customers, your suppliers, business partners and allies. What do you expect from us? And are we doing it? And so I know a number of our clients that are actually doing those types of surveys, those types of studies. And, and it's not just customer satisfaction. It's more than customer satisfaction, which I think is critical. Yeah. And I know yes. you would advise your clients of, let's just go ask people how we're doing. That's one thing. Are we making the widgets and are, did they come on time? That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But what do you expect from us as a business? We are a family-owned lumber yard you know, in Northern California do you expect us to have a position on LBGTQ issues? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. I mm -hmm. don't know. Let's just ask. And if you're a business in downtown, you know, urban Oakland, what's your position on Black Lives Matter? Probably need to have one if, you right. have, if, if you're in that community. So it's those types of things. And there's a lot of good research that can be done that is different than net promoter, which is basically a, a numerator denominator math mm -hmm. versus customer satisfaction. Did you like the, the taste and temperature of whatever? Mm -hmm. But this is really asking, what do you expect from us? And are we delivering it in a reputational context? It's really, really illuminating because I think the best way to have, you described it very well, the best way to have a great reputation is to meet the expectations of those that matter most to you. And the best way to meet their expectations is to ask them. Okay. Wow. We are so men with that have partners, business partners, as, as well as, as romantic partners. The best way to meet expectations of anybody is to ask them, what are, what are your expectations? And yeah. that's there. There's no, so you're right. This is difficult to measure, but it's not impossible to measure. And when you make it simple, what do you want from me? And I will let you know if I can deliver it. That's a great way to grow a reputation. Wow. I think it's super interesting that you would, uh, you know, frame it up like that. Um, a hot issue right now in an industry that I'm doing a lot of work in is uh, sustainability in mm -hmm. the landscape industry in particular. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, well, there's a new law in California that might go into effect in the next year about the selling of small outdoor gas powered engines and leaf blowers that will ban the sale of those. And so companies that are managing their reputation might want to talk to their stakeholders about the importance of you know, sustainability. And do you want us to, you know, would you prefer, would you pay more if we were using electric or, or solar powered or battery operated? Uh, yeah. And, you know, because companies are going to have to make a decision. Do they, are they early adopters? Are they going to, or are they going to be late, uh, you know, late to the table and only yeah, do it when followers. they're forced to? Yeah. yeah followers. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we've, we've had clients that do, have done exactly that on that sustainability issue mm -hmm. too often. And if you, if you look at societal issues and, and you and I are of a certain age that we've seen plenty of swings left and right in society over our business careers, is there are too many companies and we're seeing a lot of it right now where 
companies are way over indexing for things, way over indexing for the environment, way over indexing on these societal issues mm-hmm. where that lumber company in North Northern California would say, hey, man, I make lumber. I don't have to have a right. position on abortion, gay right. marriage, guns. I don't have to. I, I sell two by fours. But now people are feeling the need to respond in some of these situations. Now, maybe our lumber friends should say things about the environment because it's a wood product and and whatnot. But what's interesting is that all companies don't have to be all things to everybody. Ask people, what do you expect? Back to that point I just made. And that's what's really powerful about growing your reputation and being intentional about it. Um, It's the same thing you would do any good employer that you advise they take care of their people. And the best way to take care of your people is ask them what they want. This is not revolutionary. It's just a sort of a thoughtful way. And so sustainability, yes. And we're, we, we just came out of, out of the COP sessions around, around climate change. And, we're, and it's a very cause celeb in the Biden administration. But I don't know if every company needs to lean in on that at a, at a significant level. You need to do things that are good for society. But I don't know if that's what every customer of every customer of every company wants. So people really need to ask themselves what 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 does it mean to me? That's what should matter first. And then what does it mean to those that we serve? And those are sometimes people don't take the time to do that. It's not all about writing a big check to Greenpeace. There's there's more that can yeah. be done in society than writing a big check. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that reputation and crisis uh, communications and management are. Uh, inextricably linked somehow. Um, Maybe you'll explain the linkage. Um, There's an interesting story going on in the news today here in Los Angeles. Uh, Mm -hmm. The chairman of a company called Activision, it's the Mm -hmm. second largest game maker, Bobby Kotick, uh, Mm -hmm. is under fire by his board of directors for not revealing uh, certain rape allegations uh, and, and a sort of a frat boy culture that's been going on maybe for decades. And and he is the second highest paid CEO in the country. He had a, a package of $154 million this past year uh, or last year. And he's offered uh, to take a $62,500 um, compensation package um, as they get through this crisis. I'd like you to, if you're familiar with this case, mm-hmm. maybe talk about it as an example. Is that the right mindset and behavior? What about the fact that, like, maybe this was going on this this sort of frat boy um, sexual harassment type of culture was going on, um, and you know, was there a mindset or behavior that possibly, uh, and, and we don't know, we can only speculate mm-hmm. uh, that was maybe being ignored. So I want to try to bridge the gap now, go from reputation to crisis. Yeah, great. And, you know, let me, do certain people who are focused on having a great reputation, do they not face crises or, you know, or crises is basically an equal opportunity type of a situation and it hits people, it it can hit anyone at any time for any reason. Yeah. So I found a lot of stuff for you to unpack. Let me try to do it and maybe you can help me remember something, but let me start at the end first. Okay. That goes back to folks, you know, you asked, do high reputation firms not have crises? And the Mm answer is, of course not. But what they have is they get the benefit of the doubt. Activision is not going to get the benefit of the doubt because of Bobby's salary. And Mm -hmm. they've had some other things in the past. And so, so people that are watching say, aha, they did X and Y. I'm pretty sure they did Z. 
right. because they did that unrelated to sexual harassment, unrelated to these issues. But, you know, this frat boy culture, and I don't know if I know exactly what that means, but I yeah. can surmise what it means. Yes. And it's not one People thing. People were hazed. It means lots of, yeah, it means lots <laughs> of things yeah. that's there. And so, so, so the last, your last point is um, no no one is immune to crisis. There are mm -hmm. people that weather it better and there are people that weather it worse. I think what we're seeing with Activision, great story and great anecdote that we're in the middle of. And, and again, neither of us are in there. I have done work for them in years ago, but not related to any of this topic. You know, they are a house of brands. They've got a lot of different publishers that work underneath them, a lot of different cultures. I think that, you know, we are more shocked that there was um, sexual issues in the Catholic church than we are that there might be a frat boy culture in gaming. Right. It doesn't strike me as out of the pale right. that there would be that type of behavior. The church, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hard to believe that that happened. Now they both are true. Uh, and, and so I think what we, what we find is that they're trying to get out of it as fast as they can by making money moves. And money moves is a very typical response. Mm -hmm. Another typical response back to really sort of how do they disrupt this disruption? They are being disrupted. You and I are talking about them and mm -hmm. we are not talking about the next great game and we're not talking about their share price. We're right. talking about this disruption that's in. One thing they could do is take it really seriously and say, maybe we do have this problem. We're going to take the next 60 days and we're going to blue ribbon panel. You know, there's some well-worn tactics and we're mm -hmm. really going to dig in on this. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to rip the Band-Aid off and we're going to take $60,000. And I don't think that works anymore. I don't that think sound, that that's like, so you've, you've entered the spin zone and let's exactly. see if we can spin it. Exactly. Let's so let's, people yeah. will just, enough people will go away. Right. And what I think we're seeing right now, particularly on these issues that we call social risks, these are risks that impact populations. So in this case, it is women or or, or people that are, are harassed, is that they're persistent. They don't just go away. All right. Mm -hmm. They just don't they don't just disappear. They they care and they care for the long term. And so that requires a really big long-term solution. It requires self-inspection uh, self and it requires the ability to say, well, maybe we did do some things wrong and maybe we can be better and here's the path to do it. I could argue they should be doing that and not really worry about the executive comp because right. executive comp has been a problem. And I'm sure you've got clients that deal with executive comp. Sure. It isn't going to get solved. It's just right. a, th it is a thing. And that is what we have in a capitalist democracy is that, you know, boards and teams get to decide how much people make. And it's not on society to set that. It is on society on how we treat one another and society has a role. And so I think Activision should be leaning in on this topic and saying, maybe yeah. we do. How do we get to the bottom of it? Um, so, and that goes back to that benefit of the doubt. They are not getting the benefit of the doubt. Um, so there's a there's a set of there's a mindset I'm guessing and a set mm -hmm. of behaviors mm -hmm. that separate the leaders that perform best during a crisis. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. if you if you were in there with uh, with Bobby at Activision, like what might be some of the things you would be saying to yeah. him, or what would you be encouraging and leaning into? So in a very you know a lot of what I do is I almost I almost call it ministerial. And it's, mm -hmm. and you do this too, I'm sure with yeah. your, with the family businesses, it's business strategy, but this is about 
I hate Sally and I don't want Sally to have anything. And that's not a business decision, but you have to minister in to that right. situation. Right. So a lot of what I do in these situations is that, you know, how do you feel about this? How does this make you feel and be honest and really dig to get to the bottom? Because that necessity of authenticity is critical. If it is, you know, if I'm left with the impression that, you know, boys will be boys and we are selling, you know, you know, uh, call of duty to a certain age boy and a certain age man has to build that game and or it's not going to be edgy enough. And we're just and we acknowledge that, well, maybe this is our culture. That's one thing. I'm not going to change that. If there is openness and willingness to say, yeah, maybe we didn't pay attention as much as we should. Maybe this is unacceptable. You're right. My executive leadership team is all white men. Maybe I should be doing something about that. So the way I coach and the way I counsel is directly related to what I try to understand is core value DNA. What really matters? And I know it in your context, if you've got a client that says, I just effing hate Sally, there may be not much you can do because they hate their sister. And that's just, just a reality. And so I just, I think it, for me, the coaching and counseling that I do is I honestly think they should dig deep. They should appoint a commission. They should dig and really get to the bottom of this. They should invoke sort of at role rules and road um, sort of rules of the road for how their, their publishers um, act, but it has to be real and authentic in order for them to pull that off. You know, it's just interesting. The more we engage in this conversation, the, the light bulbs are going off in terms of the number of crises that are around us uh, at all times. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, again, about Activision as just an example. It's maybe more of a male-dominated culture. Um, one of the big issues in California um, and maybe even federally over the past few years is the number of women and minority that are represented on boards. Mm-hmm. And so in California, they legislated that a certain percentage, I, I don't even know what it is at this point, but um, but like you have to have women on boards. And uh, it seems that the proactive leaders uh, have a mindset that recognizes diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. which is a big movement today, um, that that invites other viewpoints and, and thoughts and that that's better than just sort of a like a, a singular personality type. Um, so I don't think legislating uh, that stuff makes any sense to me. That, no, that, that, we can go down that policy road. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. But when you understand it from the business standpoint, the case you're making so well mm-hmm. is that I need to be able to serve this marketplace. So mm-hmm. I should probably have women and some younger folks and some folks from that, that, that are not all at my country club, mm-hmm. because I could probably get some different perspectives because they matter to me. Yeah. Um, and, or, or I may not, they may not matter to me as a leader, but I know they matter to my company and they matter to my reputation. So being tuned into reputation helps leaders make these decisions. I think California is overreaching on doing things like that. You can't legislate morality, you can't I legislate agree. good behavior. I agree. Um, uh, and companies will, when, when needed, and we're seeing it on climate change, you know, GM says we're going to be out of the combustible engine business. Congress didn't tell them to do that. They just said, that's where the market's going. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to make them anymore. Nobody legislated that. Yeah. I think that's the right thinking. So I, I want to talk and ask you about, you know, what small and family owned run businesses can learn from large corporations yep. about crisis management. 
And, you know, again, things are just the light bulbs are going off. I'm thinking about diversity and equity and inclusion and how that's like a hot topic. And, and some companies are not going to get it or get it right. And they're going to have a crisis around it. Yep. There's the the whole ESG movement, which is, uh, you know, um, sustainability and uh, the environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, you know, I mean, millennials and Gen Z are so keen on knowing that there's this more fairness and, and equitable and, uh, you know, they seem to be more clued into social justice or something like that. But mm-hmm. um but, so let's go back to the question. Yeah. Got uh, it. You know, what can family businesses learn from large companies yeah. uh, about crisis management? So I, so I think there's two things. And the first is remarkably simple, but it's hard to pull off. I would encourage the folks that listen to your podcast and learn from you and that you serve is you pull out the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, uh, whatever paper of your choice, pull out the newspaper and say, what if this had happened to us? at their weekly meeting, monthly meeting, annual planning meeting, whatever their board of directors meeting, or you do it, say, if this had happened to you, how would you respond? And and just rip it from the headlines. Don't do a simulation. Don't do anything complex. Don't have a strategy committee. Just ask your team, how would we respond if that had happened? So simplest, easiest thing I know that small business, medium-sized business, and even large business can do to prepare is ask themselves, if this had happened to us, what would we do? Or pull out a trade publication. Trade publications are writing case studies all the time. So I think that's key step number one. Once you've done that is to to realize I want to be better in a crisis because I know these things happen as a leader. So what really makes the difference between a good and great crisis response? The difference in my experience between good and great crisis response is speed. How fast do you respond? How fast do you get back to the marketplace? Whether it's one pissed off customer or thousands of people on your front door protesting, whatever the or the New York Times, it's speed. The way you get fast is some of the things we've talked about. The way you get fast is really understanding your mission and values, understanding your why. Your first question to me. That's mm-hmm. so you got to understand your why, your mission and values. Then you add that to your chain of command. Who needs to be in the room? Who do I call? Who do I reach out to in a crisis? Inside counsel, my general counsel, Jonathan, my strategy consultant, who's my wife? Who do I reach out to? Let's be really clear about my chain of command. That will make you fast. So if we pull out the paper and say, what if this had happened to us? And you say, I have no idea. The solution is, what do we stand for? And who do I want to be in the room? That'll make you faster. If you do those, some of those simple things, I promise it will make you better as an organization, even if you don't have a crisis, because it'll make you think about things that you'll talk about that'll grow your reputation back to that crisis reputation dichotomy. You've done a nice job of sort of explaining the distinction between two, mm-hmm. but that's the blend. You prepare for a crisis by yeah. growing your reputation. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think some small businesses will have trouble with that. Because they're so busy just dealing with the what I call the tyranny of every day, which yeah. you know Michael Gerber re- referred to as working in the business, mm-hmm. and so uh, that kind of working on the business type of an exercise probably is challenging for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, but critical, and that's but, not, and that, and you know, and you probably run over that roadblock every day, yeah, because that is critical for the people that we both talk to that they need to work sort of on their business. Yes. And that's where that's where growth lives. And that's where reputation lives. In their businesses is where revenue lives. It's also where sales occur, but that's not the future. 
the future really is working on your business. Yeah. So I want to ask you about the keys to crisis success, but I want to cue it up with uh, a recent client situation sure. that I uh, found uh, a fast growing company in a, in a fast growing space mm-hmm. is hiring a lot of people and they've been made, they've made some difficult hires and wrong hires. And uh, then suddenly three or four people are leaving and they're, you know, it's a sudden departure and uh, there were complaints and criticisms of the leader's handling of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't the leader wasn't paying attention to the bigger picture and was getting pulled left, right, and center into all these different other meetings and and mm-hmm. fires. So it occurs to me that crisis is not just an ex. It, it it's oftentimes not an external event. Absolutely. It's what's going on internally within your company. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the creed, the keys to success uh, in yeah. a crisis? So, always be communicating. Those leaders need to always be communicating. They need to explain it going in. They need to explain what's happening in the middle, and they need to cast a vision for where we're going to go next. Mm-hmm. So, ABC always be communicating mm-hmm. is sort of key principle number 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 one. Number two is really figure out with you and your leadership team who matters most. It could be your employees, and in this example that you're talking about, it's the employees that matter most. And so that all that ABC needs to be focused on your employees. It could be your customer base. It could be your senior talent or your hourly workers. So really understanding who matters most and asking yourselves hard, hard questions about who really do we care most about. And, and, and that unfortunately means there's winners and losers, um, but that's really critical because there's only so much bandwidth that organizations have. So you really got to focus up. So always be communicating, focused on those that matter most. Those are the folks that, that are really core. And then lastly, it's back to that beginning. What do we really stand for? What are our mission and values? What, what, what do we want to be known for? And there are plenty of businesses that I know that, that, that are okay with a lot of churn. They just, you know, Amazon has a ton of churn and sure. they just they, they just churn and churn. Now, obviously, global, huge company, um, not everybody's in that context. Some of us can't afford to churn like that. So you got to think about that. So those three things, always be communicating. It shouldn't mm-hmm. just start at the crisis. Mm-hmm. Figure out who matters most, mm-hmm. you know, and then really figure out what do you stand for and what do you want to be known for and repeat that cycle as often as you can. So interesting how the concepts of uh, crisis management are so well aligned with the strategic business coaching work that I do around culture building and uh, and people. So urgency and speed is the difference. Yeah, take out because because sometimes because the, the the culture building that you're designing so thoughtfully it's, can be executed annually or quarterly or, or every day, right, but it's right. a long tail. Some of these things that we're talking about got to be dealt with by Monday by three. Yeah, exactly. So do you offer any kind of, uh, so tell us a little bit about your practice and do you offer any kind of uh, courses for crisis or, you know, best practices and communication? Tell us a little bit about what's involved in those things. Yeah. So we have two parts of our business. One is, 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 is our core consulting business mm-hmm. where we, uh, 
protect, defend, and prepare organizations. That's just sort of what we do in a crisis response. We call it firefighting, and that's really what we do. So a lot of the things you and I have been talking about here are in the context of firefighting. So that's our whole consulting practice. Mm -hmm. We have another side of our business called Kith Academy, um, which is our training program. And we've got a program that's an eight-week program called Becoming a Trusted Advisor. Mm -hmm. And it is a deep dive for high potential leaders so that they can truly become the trusted advisors to the senior level of their organization. And then we've got a course called uh, uh, Crisis Leadership, which is kind of a 101, sort of unpacks the, the, the fundamentals of crisis. And that's an online on-demand course. The, the Trusted Advisor course is live with me weekly for eight weeks. Um, both are, are great. Uh, different, completely different price points, but the transformation that we've seen from leaders in this trusted advisor class has been really fabulous. Yeah, so we're really excited about that. Yeah. Well, so as you are talking to your clients about you know managing a corporate crisis or their company's reputation, I mean, it really it comes down to you know companies and corporations are made up of people. Yes. And so it really is about um, helping those people become better leaders. It sounds Absolutely. like, you know, helping them to uh, adapt a more proactive mindset mm-hmm. uh, to be closer to their customers, to be closer to their employees, to, to really walk about and, uh, you know, you almost have to be, uh, I guess, somewhat Christ-like or something. A in little your, bit, a you little know, bit. As a CEO. But I yeah. think it, it's very, it's very interesting because uh, when I think about you know, that you might be going in and doing corporate reputation or company reputation management, you're work, really working with the individuals Absolutely. that are that are behind that. You know? They execute. They they execute whatever this nameless, faceless corporation articulates. It's executed, executed by people. Yeah. yeah. So like my clients are what I call disruptive successors. Mm-hmm. They're next generation leaders in a family business. Mm-hmm. And so they also have to face the reputation of their business, which is like, you know, everyone knows this as my dad's firm or mm-hmm. everyone knows this as my mom and dad ran this. And um, and if they're going to try and build a company, they've mm-hmm. got to get the reputation beho- beyond that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just... Uh, that's an important part of their work. So yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So I was I've been I, in our conversation and 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 looking and learning more about the work that you do. So when I think about that disruptive and that disruptive successor, I'm sure there's a lot of people that parrot back Mark Zuckerberg and Mark Zuckerberg and this comment of Facebook now they're Meta was you know move fast and break things and that mm-hmm. was that was this sort of go go mentality of that. And so you contrast that with a Warren Buffett. You know, and Warren Buffett is 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 the almost exact opposite of that. He moves very slow, and he is very cautious about breaking things and moving in in that disruptive way. And so, I think there's a lot to do. I like to pin those two things together. It's move fast, but don't break things. Is that you got to be a fast mover, but society is punishing companies, and they're punishing Facebook because they moved fast and broke things. And they're being punished right now. And so I think there's a really, there's a blend of think like Zuckerberg and and and, and sort of think like Warren Buffett. And I think your disruptive successor, successors would be really beneficial, you know, to be thoughtful, but be bold at the same time. But you can be bold and disruptive and careful at the same time. Wow, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. 
I have to say, I think uh, folks who have been listening to this, um, hopefully you'll walk away and think about how important your reputation is in the marketplace and that you'll maybe start to develop some key performance indicators to start measuring what your reputation is and that you'll also do some qualitative research, conversations with your customers, conversations with your employees, walk around and find out, read newspaper articles and and insert your company into the headline. You know, what would we do if we were in this situation? Bill, I I think this is so instructive. I, I just don't think my clients think about this often enough. And I appreciate you sharing this with me because I know I will bring this uh, into my client conversations more. Well, Jonathan, thank you for having me and thank you for doing what you do and and the leadership and the coaching you provide for your clients. So thank you very much. Awesome. So folks, uh, Bill, how can people get a hold of you? You, Your information will be in the show notes, but let's just tell it to us verbally. Yeah. So really old school. We like a website, you know, kiff.co. You can find us there and send an email. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, It's Bill Coletti. I think I might be the only one of the only ones. And then also active on Twitter. And that's just B-C-O-L-E-T-T-I. But uh, just there's a phone number and an email. Drop me an email. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Great. Thanks, folks. And if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, share it with others and think about your reputation because it matters. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.